Hi, welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast, where we attempt to equip people for kingdom release on the air. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. Well, Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to Vineyard Altoona. My name is Derek. I'm the co-senior pastor here. And if this is your first time connecting with us, I just especially want to say welcome. I'm so glad you've chosen in this new year to, to join us. And I hope that this is beneficial for you. Before I get started with our message today, uh, I would like to just begin by praying. Can I do that? Can I pray a blessing for us today? So, Lord, I do just welcome you into this time. And Lord, as we look at your word and as Lord, we look at the the year ahead of us, God, I pray that your kingdom would come. I pray that we would experience your nearness. Lord, I pray that you would empower me to speak as I should. God, I pray that you would put your words in my mouth. And Lord, I pray that this year would be a new year for all of us. God, that we would, would truly experience your rule and your reign this year. God, would you give us uh, something of your presence as we look at your word? I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to begin a new series uh, today that we're calling CORE. Now, uh, the goal of the series is to anchor us again in the foundation of who we are. As God's people, you know, uh, I feel like maybe maybe this is true for you, uh, but uh, maybe you've never seen this, but that often we need to be reminded of things, don't we? Like, aren't we a fairly forgetful people? You know, as we as we look at this stuff uh, in this new series, what what you're gonna some of you are gonna say, well, this is this is new to me, and some of you are gonna go, well, this this feels like we've talked about this before. But here's the thing: I have found that humanity, we seem to need to be reminded of things quite often, don't we? Have you seen this in your own life? You know, a real perfect example uh, is we just finished the Advent and the Christmas season. And, and I hope you had a great Christmas. Mine was just weird. We could talk about that another time. I'm sure COVID has made all of yours weird too uh, at some level. But we finished this season where we celebrate, we remember the part of our story where we were waiting for a Messiah and then we celebrate Christmas where Jesus came in the flesh, that he was born in in a stable. We remember that God came to earth, that we we remember this. And, you know, we celebrate this every 12 months, which, shopping note, you have less than a year to shop for next year's Christmas. I hope you can make it. I think you'll make it. You got plenty of time north of 350 days, plenty of time. But we do this every 12 months. And maybe you don't know this, but for pastors, sometimes this can be a really difficult thing, that there's a lot of maybe uh, self-imposed expectation on Christmas for pastors. You know, we all sort of feel this need to say something new or something interesting. But here's the problem. The Christmas story never changes. You know, it, it happened already. So everything that we say about it every year is something that already happened. You know, the first year that you preach, 
uh, for those of you who've never preached before, the first year that you preach Christmas, it's super exciting. And whatever you say, it's the first time you've said it. And it's real easy, right? You know, you just get up and you say, and you all of your best Christmas thoughts come out the first year. And then year two, you go, well, I don't, rem- I don't want to say the same thing that I said last year. And so you struggle to box it into a, a new package that, that it's still the same story, but I, I want to say it in a new way. And it gets increasingly more pressure the longer you preach because eventually you've run out of material. And eventually what happens is you come to the realization that it's not about saying something new. It's about calling our minds back to what always has been. It's about reminding us of this part of our story. And we do this every 12 months. You know, we do Easter every 12 months as well. That's another one. Try preaching Easter weekend or year in and year out. After a while, you sort of go, well, what's new? It's the same message. Every- I saw a meme uh, on Facebook back when I was actually on Facebook. Uh, I saw a meme that that had a, a guy coming out of the church at the end of the Easter service and he stops to shake hands with the preacher and he said, you preach the same thing every year. And the, the meme says, well, if you'd come at different Sundays, I preach different things. Uh, really a, 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 an acknowledgement that so many people come for Christmas and Easter and it's the same thing every year. But that we as humanity, we need to be reminded of who we are, that we need to remember the story that we're a part of. You know, uh, some of you may may recognize that early on in church history, the leaders of the early church felt that it was important to remember over and over and over who we are. And so they they created this thing. If you're you're not aware that there's a church calendar, and I'm not talking about the one on our website. That one's pretty good too, but uh, not near as good as the church calendar. There's a church calendar. If you weren't aware of that, you probably subconsciously were because you know that Christmas is in December and Easter is in the spring. And if you know that much, you're at least aware that there's a rhythm in the church year that over and over and over, we as humans need to be reminded of the story that we're a part of. That's the point, that we tend to forget who we are. And so as we look at this series called Core, my hope is that we would be reminded again of who we are. That's the point, because here's the thing, the story that we're a part of is powerful. If you didn't know that, the story that you believe you're living makes meaning out of everything that you do. Whatever story you think you're living, it matters because it answers important questions for you, like, where did I come from? Or who am I? Or what is my purpose? Or what's wrong with the world? Or how do I get ahead, right? The story that you're living answers those questions. And based on the answers to those questions, you can decide what you should do and what you shouldn't do. What's right and what's wrong. You make decisions based on the story that you believe you're living about what purpose humanity serves. We can, uh, uh, out of that place, we come up with laws and we come up with issues of justice, all based on how do we decide what story we're living. And the story that you're living makes up a worldview. It makes up the lens from which you look at your life. 
So for example, what job should you take? The way you answer that depends on what you believe the role of, uh, of human work is and how humans are supposed to work or not. Whether you think of your job as drudgery or you think of your job as fulfilling God's purpose on your life largely depends on the story that you believe you're living. Or how do you decide who you should marry or if you should marry? Again, it depends on your answers to the questions and the story that you're living. You know, how do you decide what to do with money or exercise or how to eat? All of those things come from the story that you're living. And story is powerful. You know, every single day of your life, you're offered stories that attempt to make sense of the life you live. From all sides, marketing is trying to sell you a story to make sense of your life. Typically one that says you don't have enough stuff, you should buy this thing. If you just had this face cream, your face would look like mine, right? You guys know this stuff. But they offer answers to the fundamental questions of life. We who follow Jesus, though, we place ourselves, we are in the grand story of the Bible. If you're a follower of Jesus, what it means is that your narrative, the story that you believe you're living, is the biblical story. That we seek answers to the most basic questions of life from the biblical story. And though we know this to be true, we often need to be reminded, don't we? Don't we need to remember again who it is that we are? We find this all the time. We begin by answering the first question, which is, where do I come from? You know, there's all kinds of theories about where humans come from. We've been evolved from this, or we came from that. But the biblical story says this. The Bible starts in Genesis 1-1 with this phrase, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Where do I come from? What the Bible says is that everything and everyone comes from God. That when you think about where you come from, your first thought is that you were created by a good and perfect God. That everything that you have and everything that you see was created by God. There's nothing in this world that doesn't originate from the hand of God. You know, uh, theologians have a term when they talk about how God created everything. And the term is ex nihilo which is a Latin word that means out of nothing. And what theologians are trying to communicate is God created everything that is out of nothing. You know, if you and I are going to create a sculpture, we have to come up with some materials, right? Some clay, and then we form it into a sculpture. Or, or if we're going to create a painting, first we have to come up with paint and paper or some, some put, place to put the paint and a brush and then we create a painting. But that's not how God created everything. Theologians would say that God created everything out of nothing. That's what the Bible teaches, that God created everything out of nothing. What does that mean for us? Well, what it means is that we don't own anything. That ultimately, at its root, we're not the source of anything. God didn't borrow materials from us to make the things that we have. 
There's no such thing as a self-made man or a self-made woman. Everything that we have, everything that we are, originates from God, and it all belongs to Him. It means your career belongs to God. It means your spouse belongs to God. Your kids belong to God. Your health, it belongs to God. Your money belongs to God. Your house belongs to God. Everything that you have, everything that you are, it all comes from God and it all belongs to Him. And they're all things on loan to you. Sure, you can work out and try to steward your body and eat right and you treat it right, you can invest the money that you have, and those are all wise ways, uh, ways to steward what God has loaned you. But ultimately, everything comes from God. That you and I don't actually own anything. That's the biblical story, is that we don't own anything. God owns it all, he loans it to us, and at any time, he can take it back. Friends, this gives us a perspective that frees us from the attachments to things that we are so prone to make. You know, so many of us, we make attachments to the kids that we have or the spouse that we have. We really get comfortable with the, the career that we have and we begin to own these things and possess them as if somehow they're ours. And then friends, what happens when you lose those things? If you've ever been with a parent who's lost a child, or you've ever been with someone who's lost a spouse, you know, it's, it's a normal thing to grieve a loss. You know, you lose a job, it's a normal thing to grieve. You lose a spouse or a friend, it's a normal thing to grieve. But when the thought of losing those things or actually losing those things destroys you, what it reveals in you is that that has become an idol for you. You see, if you understand biblically that you own nothing, that everything you have is a gift on loan from God, it makes you able to thank God for how long you got to have the thing that he loaned to you. Yes, it would hurt to lose it. And yes, we would grieve, but we would be grateful that God loaned that house or that job or that spouse to us. Nothing belongs to us. That's the biblical story. When we understand that, we have, we, we're freed from our tendency to make idols out of things. That everything that we have and everything that we are, it originates from the hand of God, a good God who loves us. So where do I come from? I come from God. The second question we all need to answer is, who am I? Who am I? You know, this is a popular interview question. Have you ever been in an interview and been asked the question, who are you? And there's all kinds of crazy ways you could identify yourself. I remember sitting in an interview for uh, an airline job and they, they said, well, who is Derek? And I sat there for a second and I was like, I don't even know how you want me to answer this. <laughs> it's an interview for a pilot job. I, I'm a pilot, so I think I qualify. What else do you want to know? But like, that's a deep question, isn't it? And we come up with all kinds of answers with who am I? You know, maybe you define yourself by your career. You're an accountant or you're, you're an engineer or you're a student or maybe you, you identify yourself by your marital status and you would say I'm a husband or I'm a wife. Or maybe you identify as a parent 
uh, or, or you're a homeowner, or you know maybe you identify yourself as a teammate, or I'm an American. How do you identify yourself? We could describe ourselves as any number of things, couldn't we? There's lots of stories that want to tell us who we are. But the Bible answers this question for us in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Here's what it says. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Who am I? Who are you? We're people made in the image of God. Every person you've ever encountered in your life is a person made in the image of God. You know, there's all kinds of ideas that people have as to what it means to be made in the image of God. Some people would say, well, it's the ability to reason and make wise choices that makes us made in the image of God. Or maybe it's our ability to create. Some say it's our ability to be in community with others. And all of these things may have some truth in them, but what the author of Genesis 1 is trying to communicate really is rooted in the ancient Near Eastern understanding of the construction of a temple. If you were an ancient Near Eastern person constructing a temple to a pagan god, you would create a a magnificent structure. And after you got done creating this structure, the last thing you would put in the temple is the image of the god that you were making a temple for. It would be a stone image or a statue or something that would represent the god of that temple. What the author in Genesis is telling us is that God has created this grand temple of the world for himself. And the last thing that he puts in the temple is the image of himself, which is humanity. That we are the image of God. What the Bible says is that we are made to represent the God we cannot see. That's what we're here for. We are made to represent the God that reveals himself in Scripture. Above all else, you and I were created to demonstrate the rule of God everywhere we go. We were created to show the world what God is like. Who am I? I'm someone created in the image of God. That means wherever you are, You are to represent God there. You know, one of the things I say all the time here is that we want to transform the spaces we inhabit by the power of the gospel, which is really just another way of saying that be the image of God wherever you are. Wherever you go, your role as made in the image of God is to demonstrate the rule and the reign of God there. You're not placed anywhere by accident. You're not intended to drift through life with no meaning and no purpose. That everywhere you are, you are to represent God. That's what it is to be made in the image of God, which means if your workplace is a disaster, if there's all kinds of things wrong with your workplace, 
Even though you may pray that God would take you out of it, you are there to demonstrate the justice and the wisdom and the peace of God. That your presence in your workplace is supposed to demonstrate what God is like. Maybe your family is really dysfunctional and God has placed you in this family to demonstrate wisdom, order, and kindness to your family, to demonstrate what God is like. Or whenever you come across people who are down and out, you come across the last, the least, and the lost in our community, your role is to demonstrate to them that God sees them and God cares for them. You show people what God is like. That's what you were created for, to be an image of God wherever you go. Whether you're in the grocery store, you're at Sheets, you're in the drive through line someplace, no matter where you go, being an image bearer of God means that you demonstrate what God is like. In your classrooms, with your teachers, you demonstrate what God is like. That's what it is to be an image bearer of God. So we come from God. We're made in the image of God. The third question that we all have to answer is what's wrong with the world? You know, it really doesn't matter what your worldview is. Everyone agrees that something's wrong with the world. Religious belief doesn't really matter what it is. Lack of religious belief, we all agree there's something wrong with the world. And maybe a global pandemic just makes it that much easier to see. But everyone agrees that something's wrong with the world. You know, the Gnostics believed that what was wrong with the world was, was matter, was our bodies. That's what's wrong with the, the world is our bodies. And that if we could just escape our broken bodies and live as disembodied spirits, everything would be right with the world. You know, Karl Marx, he said that what's wrong with the world is unjust economic systems. Conservatives, they say that what's wrong with the world is liberalism. And liberals say what's wrong with the world is conservatism. You know, we all have ways of describing what we believe is wrong with the world, don't we? Like, I imagine if you were thinking about it right now, you would go, well, I, I know what's wrong with the world. This is what's wrong with the world. It's, it's the Republicans, it's the Democrats, right? Everybody has their idea about what's wrong with the world. But here's the thing, as Christians, we look to the Bible. And what the Bible says is in Genesis 3, verse 5, uh, as, as the serpent is talking to Eve uh, about eating the fruit, what the serpent says this, the serpent says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be, here's the key, like God, knowing good and evil. You know, what's wrong with the world at its very core, at its foundation, is that human beings are not content to live under the rule and reign of God, that we attempt always to supplant God, to reject his rule and his reign, to throw it off, that we want to be kings of our own kingdom. That's what's wrong with the world. And this is the source of all of our problems. You know, because we reject God's good and perfect rule over our lives, we break relationship with him. 
And so we find it hard to connect with God because we are, we've set ourselves up as the kings of our own kingdoms. And so our relationship with God is broken and we find it hard to hear from God. We, we have to find it hard to pray to God and to understand what God is doing. And at the same time, because we set up our own kingdoms and everyone sets up their own kingdom, our kingdoms collide. What's right in my kingdom may not be what's right in your kingdom. And it creates clash, which creates problems between people. At root, what's wrong with the world is that we want to be God. That's always what, what, the, what the problem is. We lack peace. We feel hopeless because we've set up our own kingdoms, that we've tried to govern our own world. And we may play, try to play the blame game and pin the blame on, on all kinds of things, but the Bible tells us that, that, that what's wrong with my life and what's wrong with your life at root is that we've rejected the rule and the reign of God. Listen, friend, if you're struggling with something in your life that you cannot get past, odds are really, really good that at some level you have not allowed God to be in charge of those places in your life. That's the problem at the root. Everything else is just, it's the fruit that grows from not allowing God to be God in our lives that we don't trust him as God, and we think that we know better. That's what's wrong with the world. And friend, you and I, we can't fix it. We broke it, and we can't fix it. So how will we be rescued? How will what's wrong in the world be made right? You know, friends, your effort, all the effort you could make in the world won't fix what's wrong with the world we need to be saved. We need to be rescued. We need a Savior. In the story of the Bible, Jesus comes to rescue us. He does this by being what you and I were unable to be, the perfect image of God. That he represents in the world perfectly what God is like. Colossians 1.15 says this, The Son, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. When the Bible, what the Bible teaches us about Jesus is that he lived as the perfect image of God. Where you and I fell short, Jesus demonstrated what God was like. He demonstrated the rule and the reign of God everywhere he went. You saw what God was like. The sick were healed. The dead were raised. The lame could walk. The deaf could hear. Everywhere he went, he perfectly demonstrated the rule and the reign of God. And friends, the perfect image of God went to the cross on your behalf and on my behalf to defeat the powers that hold us, that have tarnished the image of God in our lives. And the good news is that as we put our trust in Jesus, he begins to restore the tarnished image of God in us by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we too can live into our true purpose 
of demonstrating the reality of God in a world that so desperately needs him, that we can resume our role as image bearers of God. This is good news, friends, that we can be saved by Jesus if you put your trust in him. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.